The following is a Frank R. Wilson presentation. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it covered. We talk to those from the industry and learn about them and their favorite scores. Welcome to What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So let's take a look at the shelf of CDs and see what we're going to play today. Recognize that music? It's one of our guest's favorite scores. As a writer, producer, and director, he's taken that experience and applied it to his primary role as a film critic. But he's much more than than a critic. He runs an entertainment website, hosts a podcast, and a film review TV show. And enough, he also launched a PR firm, Picture Lock, uh, to help independent filmmakers with a focus on people of color. I hope everyone will join me in welcoming our guest today, Kevin Sampson. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Frank. What's going on? Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. It um, it sounded like you had a really interesting background and might have a, a great perspective on uh, on film music, so that's why we wanted to have you on today. Um, normally with our guests, we always just kind of start off with the uh, uh, same question, really, and that is, if you wouldn't mind maybe telling us a little bit, a bit about yourself, you know, where'd you grow up and family and just, you know, kind of general things that bring us up uh, pretty close to uh, to present day. Yeah, um, so I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, I guess so I was born in Orangeburg and then uh, lived in Columbia most of my uh, formative years. And while <laughs> growing up, I think Film and TV always, there was just something about it. I loved the storytelling aspect. Um, I really enjoyed the fact that I could uh, kind of see different lives through film and through TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I, I was always into acting uh, from a younger age. And so in high school, I was doing like all the plays and uh, thespians and drama club and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I went up into college, uh, my dad was, you know, in my ear and he was just like, you need to do something that will actually make money. And he kept wanting me to go into <laughs> computer science. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I, I figured, well, if I can't be in front of the camera, because I do, I did understand that it's really hard to kind of break in. At least I could go behind the camera and so uh, in, in undergrad, I studied uh, media arts, and and then eventually I went on to get a master's in film and electronic media from American University. 
Um, so, so film has always been my love, and it's always been one of those uh, one of those things that um, I just gravitated to. So, I'm really excited to talk with you today. You know, as as a film critic uh, and a film festival director, um, I enjoy movies as a whole, but I really respect uh, score and music composition. Now, I might not be able to geek out and and go into you know this composer and all of their background, but we can definitely talk about the emotional aspect of what scores bring to films. So I'm oh, looking sure. forward to our conversation. Yeah, I mean, at, uh, yeah, believe me, you're in good company. The majority of people that I'm, I'm guessing here, but I'm, I think the majority of us, including myself. You know, I can't read a lick of music or I don't understand, you know, <laughs> measures and four four time and everything else. But right. uh, I actually hope to have someone on that's going to maybe help us with understanding that a little bit as time goes along. But, you know, we just know what we like uh, and the reasons why we like it. And that's yeah, we'll be on the same page with that then. Um, let's let's go ahead and uh, before I get into some more questions, let's just go ahead and get into some of your favorites here. One uh one you had chosen was is called Man of Steel. I th- that's the name of the film too. I think right. I mean it's it's Correct. one of the Superman films. <laughs> right. Now, this is written by yeah written by Hans Zimmer. Can you tell us a little bit about why that uh, ended up being amongst your list of favorites? You know uh, I'll put, I'll go on record saying Hans Zimmer hands down is uh, probably my favorite uh, composer of all time. Mm. Uh, okay. And I, I I just love. With this score, you feel the fragility of um, a, a man that is learning about himself, learning that he has these these powers. And um, I think in, in, in this particular score, you hear that fragility, but you also hear him coming into his own and you also hear um, him starting to take on those challenges. And, and that's one of the things I really love about this score. When it when it's done effectively, and it sounds like in in, in your view this one was, it, it's interesting how like a a main title theme can actually help tell the story, and that that's what it almost sounds like. What you're saying there is that it basically kind of gave you a preview of what the story was going to be about. Right, exactly, exactly. I think that um, for many of the many of the scores that I think I chose, uh, the score is actually another character. It's another character that's speaking to us, uh, as viewers and saying something, telling us something. It's either great B-roll as it would be in a documentary where you're just kind of, you know, supporting the main thing that's going on, or Mm -hmm. it's actually like a different character. And so I think that, um, in Man of Steel, you, you, this one is more of a support support system okay all right well let's uh, let's have a listen to it for ourselves uh this is the main theme from the film man of steel and it's written by hans zimmer
continue on that that wavelength that you were uh, talking about that it might be a, a music could be a separate character or, or more of a support thing what, what um do you have a well, let's see I'm, there's all kinds of different questions that I, I could ask about that are you <laughs> are you looking for music that kind of supports what's going on the screen or are you looking for music to perhaps give you another element of what's happening on screen if that makes sense yeah, you know, for me, going back to my childhood, uh, a lot of times when I first kind of started to fall in love with the actual scores, um, movies, movies. Whenever I, whenever I finish watching a movie, if I walk out of it and I feel like uh, I'm trying to be that character, mm-hmm. uh, whatever I just watched, then I, I feel like it did a great job of transporting me um, into the story that it was trying to say. And so uh, kind of bringing this back. So like, for instance, there's the story that I always tell, but in high school, like I went to see Fast and the Furious, the first one. And mm-hmm. uh, I just remember coming out of that and me and my friend, we both, we had, uh, we borrowed our parents' cars and we were at the light and, and <laughs> we just, yeah, <laughs> we Uh-oh. hit the gas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Luckily, you know, being a teenager, kind of stupid, but hit the gas and the car goes, and it just took off but they music uh or movies can transport you and, and really kind of take over and so i think to answer your question in regard to the music um there are times in which the music is moving me emotionally and getting me to a certain place um that the actors are also contributing to and um and and sometimes there's different instances where um again like we were talking about you know it's it's supplementing what's going on in the main action but then also it can be almost another character that walks onto the screen and following up on that i'm i'm curious because i i'm pretty sure you're younger than i am um do you i mean i i I don't want to ask a leading question because i don't want to i want to necessarily give away my point of view do you think um, uh, it is is music and a score? Is it possible to have it like too much music and a score? Do you uh, think? Yeah, definitely. There's there's certain movies, and I can't think of something off the top of my head. Um, a great example, but there are certain movies where the the score is just too much. It's like overkill, and. Um, and so there, it's possible to get it wrong, I think, with the score. Um, and sometimes it's it just pulls you out of the film because it's too much and it's doing too much. Um, but I think the great composers are able to find a balance and and like we said, you know, just kind of help to lead the audience along in the story. Yeah, yeah, I, I've I've heard it said that as the technology got better, especially the audio, that the sound effects have become so uh, in your face, almost so to speak, especially <laughs> on on action films and that sort of thing. That sometimes composers think they've got to compete with all those sound effects to make sure they can get heard. And I and, and I, I'm not sure it's really serving the story well. So that's why I was kind of curious. Right, right, um, right, exactly. <clears throat> another cue that you had uh, chosen, and I'm a, I, I guess I'm familiar with the main thing that that was composed for this, but not. Not any of the cues from the sequel. Uh, we're talking about Beverly Hills Cop 
two, and there's a cue you uh, wanted to play called Robbery. Now, I hope I say this gentleman's name right. Harold Faltermeyer? I, I think you got it right. I mean, okay. yeah, I, I probably that's exactly how I would have said it. I mean, he, and he does, uh, he did compose the main theme from the first movie, right? That that actually became a big hit, as I recall. Right, exactly. Top okay. Gun as well, and The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Ah, so, okay. yeah. <laughs> and he's definitely he's definitely done a lot, and and I understand what you're saying. So usually, you know, um, it's that Axel Foley that most people dun, 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 right. that people go to, but. I remember distinctly when I saw this film and I saw this scene. This is actually how the film opens up with the racetrack uh, robbery. I believe it was that, that robbery or it was the jewel, jewelry heist. I think that's how it opened up. But this was one of them in it. And the percussion, the snare or, or hi-hat that's that's in um, this, it keeps time in a way that again, it really um, boosts what's happening within the scene. So as a robbery is taking place, um, you know, the main character is yelling out, you know, this like one minute, 30 seconds and, you know, 30 seconds. And but Mm -hmm. the way that the percussion keeps that time, it's not really in seconds. um, But for some reason, I just remember the first time that I saw that it just stood out to me. Um, because I really got into the heist portion of it, but right. it was because of the score that I really got invested in it because the score actually put this kind of unease within me, um, to, to see, you know, are they going to get out of there in enough time? And, you know, you're kind of almost rooting for the bad guy, but it just really pulls you in as a, as a viewer. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's hear this for ourselves uh, the, uh, uh, the cue is called Robbery. It's from the film Beverly Hills Cop Number 2, again written by Harold Faltermeyer. Let's have a listen.
mentioned this earlier before you kind of focused on uh, reviewing films and things of that nature you were working behind the camera uh, and I think you mentioned this in some notes that I saw that that kind of helped shape your 
reviews to a certain extent. Can you tell us a little bit about how they, how that work behind the camera has affected your uh, your reviews? What is it that maybe makes yours a little bit, I don't want to say more special, but, you know, it makes your reviews different than maybe perhaps other critics. Yeah, you know, I think much like movies, um, the our, our life story, right? So, Frank, how you grew up and your perspective. When you watch a movie, you're going to bring all that to it and uh, see it a different way. In the same way, I think um, I'm bringing my entire life story uh, to films when I'm viewing it. But then I think the special thing about uh, studying film and actually making, you know, short films or music videos is that I really understand the technical portion of it and and how much work goes into it. And so um, one of the things I always feel like as as critics is, you know, sometimes when we slam a movie, um, we also have to give credit to the filmmakers for for making a movie because I, I understand how difficult that is. Um, and so I think I think a lot of times in, in, in my reviews, you know, that's something that I'm able to hone in on uh, certain ways that a director may have moved the camera within a scene and the fact that understanding um, uh, when they go handheld and what that is actually supposed to do. It's not just going handheld with the camera to go handheld, but to have the camera have a little bit of a shake in it. And it's supposed to supplement a story um, in which, you know, something might be going on that's uh, kind of crazy. At the time, as as we record this, Knives Out is about to come out this weekend. Right. And there is a great scene in which director Ryan Johnson um, one of the characters comes out of the house and up until that point, the camera has been on sticks, so it's really stable, but it's an unstable point within the film. And he goes off of uh, the tripod and, and makes it handheld and it works. So hmm. um, those are some of the things I look out for uh, within the reviews. And, you know, it was interesting. It was only once I started um, acting that I, I mean, I always kind of knew it was a painstaking process, but I don't <laughs> think I really fully appreciated how much work goes into, you know, even a 10 second scene sometimes. <laughs> right. And, it, and, and, it, and, I, and, and I mean, things like lighting, uh, which I've started to learn a little bit about. I, you know, when I've watched a movie, I haven't really like, taken notice of lighting before, but I'm, I'm starting to now because now I understand how that kind of uh, manipulation about how you're reacting to a particular scene or something right, and so, but, exactly. I, but I never really I never really knew that it uh, so I'm not at the level that you're talking about but I do have and I unfortunately now can't watch movies or TV without thinking about wow that <laughs> took some time or Ooh, I wonder how many takes he did of that right but, uh, but yeah it's it's interesting it's interesting so I'm but I'm glad to hear that it's serving your your purpose as well by having that perspective because I'm going to guess the vast majority of people that write these sort of reviews probably don't have that background actual experience of of doing those things I mean yeah no you're right I think um, there are definitely critics that have gone to school studied you know film theory and things like that but there 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 aren't that many that have have been able to do both so it is a a little bit of a unique uh, ability for me yeah. You um you chose another great 
great cue and one that's a particular favorite of mine. And interesting, the composer on this also happened to be the writer and the director. That always amazes me how someone can do all those different things for a film. Uh, you know, even a, a lot of people don't realize Clint Eastwood has written some scores for some of his films. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I just I don't know how people have the energy or the time or to even learn new skills like that. But uh, the film I'm talking about is Halloween. Uh, and the, the music is written by John Carpenter, who is also the director. Uh, and it's probably a pretty well-known cue because it's just I, I guess I could almost put it in the realm of being a classic. Um, tell us a little bit about your choosing that for your among your list of favorites. Yeah, uh, John Carpenter. I mean, it, it, this is a special guy, right? He able to direct, and uh, he wrote the screenplay for it as well. Um, there's so many different uh, scores that I think um, he's written that are, are just absolutely phenomenal. But with Halloween, I mean, you know, this year, um, Spooky Science Night at my daughter's school. What's playing in the in the black in the background? Uh, you know, the little rock speaker as you walk up to the <laughs> building. It's it's Halloween, the theme. And again, going back to what I was saying earlier, sometimes that that score, that composition becomes a different character, right? And so uh, here we have John Carpenter creating a minimalist score. I think uh, he had like three days to write and compose the score for the film. Uh, And he did this in like a, yeah, he did it in like an hour. Um, And it's minimalist, but every time you hear it, you feel that presence, right, of Michael uh, kind of in 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 the shadows, and it gives you that unease. Um, and so again, anytime that you kind of hear that, it's it's really chilling. And and I think it just does a great job of again drawing you into the film, drawing you into the story, getting you scared uh, of the boogeyman. So uh, yeah, I definitely had to choose that one. <laughs> All right, well, let's have a listen for ourselves. This is the uh, the main theme from the film, Halloween, and it's written by John Carpenter.
you mentioned from a very early age that you were in the film and TV and that sort of thing. And I, am I to assume that you also were kind of interested in the film music at that time? Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and I wouldn't say but, so. And let me tell that, you why I'm asking just real quick. It, it, and I've asked this to several of my guests. I mean, when I was when I was younger and I'm talking about like, you know, seven, eight years old, I started to like film music. I remember buying a couple of soundtracks, but I always felt like an outsider that all, all my other all the other kids my age are saying, what? what do you listen to that for? You know, <laughs> I, I'm just wondering if you ever had any uh, situations like that where people looked at you strange and said, well, what do you, why are you listening to that? Yeah, no, I don't think I had that in particular, but here's here's a, a little facts for you might not have been able to find online. But uh, when I was in college undergrad, I was in a hip hop group called The Elements. And so my brother actually is uh, a producer, a music producer in Atlanta uh, currently. And okay. so uh, in high school, we had the sold computer um, and there's this uh software called fruity loops and i think it's still uh, you know people can make beats and uh music on it now and so one of the things that my brother and i used to do is we would make uh music beats um more so hip-hop but we would always like sample different music and so i think that's where the love for hans zimmer first came because um Mm. i just remember uh, and maybe I could find this and, and, and give it to you, but my brother had uh, sampled like Crimson Tide, um, uh, The Rock, uh, there's Con Air, all these different scores. And so just in, in, in regard to hip hop, you know, sampling something and taking uh, some music and then changing it a little bit, putting a, a little bass behind it or whatever the case may be to kind of manipulate the art. Uh, again, it's one of the ways that I really kind of fell in love with some of the scores at a young age because, you know, we would have to listen to it over and over and um, kind of speed it up or slow it down or whatever the case may be. And so, yeah, I, you know, it's interesting because I don't think at the time, like, I know I would go, we would go to the library and that's how we would be able to listen to movie soundtracks and check it out. So okay. I wasn't like, our friends at school were making fun of us or anything, but um, yeah, that's how we that's how we kind of really got into it, sampling and 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 making music for hip hop. Yeah. Well, it's interesting here in our uh, journey of the different cues and stuff. We went from what you described in your own words as a minimal minimalist type of a score. And now we're going to go to more of the classic huge orchestra score. Uh, <laughs> right. I'm talking about the theme from uh, Jurassic Park, written by John Williams. Um, and, and to be fair, you actually shared a couple of John Williams cues with me that we could have used, but I, I went ahead and just picked this one, but, uh, tell me what went into your thinking of having this as one of your favorites. Uh, I mean, Jurassic Park, um, you know, there, there are certain films, Star Wars being one of them. Uh, I think Jurassic Park is another where it's kind of cinema, you know, before Jurassic Park and then cinema after. And I think oh, uh, wow. with that movie, yeah, I, I think what that movie did uh, in regard to in regards to uh, allowing us to see dinosaurs um, just in, in interacting with them in a way that I don't think had been really done before. 
Um, and the musical score was such that, again, like you said, it's this big orchestra, but it also uh, plays with our imagination, you know, like us as kids thinking about dinosaurs, right? Because we've never really seen dinosaurs, but the music um, just takes you to this place where it's almost like you stand in awe. And I think you mm. hear that in uh, the composition, that awe, that wonder um, that Spielberg so magnificently is always able to capture. And and so, yeah, I think that this composition um, is one that really kind of takes you to a place and, um, and and allows you to be in amazement of what you're seeing on the screen. Hmm. You know, an interesting little tidbit about that film, too. If I'm not mistaken, the this was the f- first film that that had a a digital soundtrack. I, and it, Dolby Digital was out yet or not, but this was um this was uh, DTS, a competing format. And my understanding was when you played it in theaters, they had they had, you know, the film they showed in a standard projector. This is before digital films and stuff. Standard yeah. projector. But the soundtrack and everything else was on a separate laser disc that had to be synced to the film. And that was that this was before they could put all the information on a film strip. So they actually used a separate laser disc in order for the for the music and the sound effects and things like that. So and it was spectacular sounding if you ever saw it in a theater. It was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. I have a friend, uh, and Jurassic Park is like, he he's now a cinematographer in L.A., and this film was like the one that really got him into film. Um, you know, at, at the time, 93, when it came out, we were 10 years old. And so uh, I think he got his mom, convinced his mom to see this film 11 times in the theater. <laughs> it might be more. Wow. Which is, yeah, <laughs> which is ridiculous. So... <laughs> But yeah, this is definitely a special, a special film. Now let's uh, let's listen to this wonderful theme.
this might be a difficult question to answer, but I'd be curious if, if anything comes to mind. And what I mean by that is that have you have you come across films you think that were almost saved by a score or made better because the score was so exceptional? And if so, can you can you think of some examples? There are definitely films like that. Um, I wish I could say some off off the top of of my head. Yeah, but, and I know um, that's tough. Yeah, yeah but uh, but. I'm trying to think in in terms of so for instance uh, and I think this is one that we aren't covering but the social network um, I really thought that you know with Aaron Sorkin he is a master writer yeah. and uh, if you know the backstory to to that whole thing um, you know the actors had to spout off like. As, as you know, as an actor, you know, a page is about a minute on, on screen. Right. And they had to spout off pages, like, within a minute. And so, you know, that, that timing. And then the social no- network is about, you know, basically Facebook, but also kind of that uh, nerdy tech side of, you know, building the software. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one in which uh, the... the um, Theme and score from Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross really helped to to boost the film because otherwise, you know, if you just have a bunch of talking heads, it's not like it's an action movie. It's not uh, one of those things where um, I guess things are moving quickly. But I think mm-hmm. that's one in which the score and it's still a great film. That uh, this isn't a great example in terms of a be- a film that might have been kind of eh but then the score made it better. But this is one in which I think without that score um, kind of pulsing and, and that tech, as, as a lot of times now, I think it's kind of a genre of technology when you look up on maybe Spotify or something like that. Um, but without that score, I don't think it would have helped, uh, again, the audience to kind of get into the techie stuff that's going on on the screen. Um, yeah. And so I think that's a good example. No, it sounds like it is. I mean, because they're. I mean, have you ever had the uh, the opportunity to to see a film before it's been scored, where there's there's no music, but you know everything else is pretty much finished. I mean, outside of like independent films, I haven't. So I haven't seen uh, you know like I mean, maybe a big. Go ahead. Yeah, no. I mean, my point being, it's just amazing how dead. Uh, a movie, yeah. how dead a movie is without that. Um, uh, you know, even with great performances and those sorts of things, it it just shows you how important a good a good score is. is right. If you've seen one that doesn't have any music with it, uh, and I don't mean wall to wall music either. I mean just you know, place at the appropriate times. Even if it's a slow moving narrative, you you still need some of those things to help support the film or at least help you understand what the characters are going through. And, uh, uh, that's, that's why I was asking because it, and I think you probably gave a pretty good example, especially just off the top of your head. Uh, and I wish I had one too. I wrote the question and I couldn't think of, of an example <laughs> of it, but I do know that there are, you know, there are films that have been helped. I, I always remember the story from Sidney Pollock that, uh, when he was, when he was making out of Africa and he told the composer, John Barry he says, if I don't have a good score for this, I'm dead. This movie will go nowhere because there's no narrative. There's no right. narrative. There's no real story. It's just kind of like little snippets of someone's life. 
And, you know, if I don't have a score to, to move that film along, it's just going to fall flat on his face. And a lot of people never uh, realize there's only 30 minutes of, mu- of uh, music in, in that two-hour film. It's very integral to it. And that's, you know, the director, I think, was probably right in his assessment. So, anyway, just kind yeah. of was curious if you had any examples. Hey, is anything come to mind of a film maybe that was hurt by a score? Like, oh, jeez, this is horrible. Oh, it's okay man. if you don't have one. I was just curious. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good one. Maybe by the time we finish, maybe I'll I'll have one on on deck. Okay. Well, I know I know that's you know that's really on the spot. I I can know you know well yeah well maybe we'll get to it at the end. Let's uh let's hear another one of your favorites. This is and this is a composer I I like. He's a little different, but um. But he's had a very successful career. We're talking about Danny Elfman and his theme for the uh, uh, 1989 uh, Batman film. Tell us a little bit about your uh, uh, choosing that uh, for your list. Yeah, so again, Batman 1989, I'm six years old. I remember (laughs) distinctly when I was able to see this film – I saw I I remember my dad had the VHS and um, going back to kind of it felt like that big orchestra, old Hollywood um, type of a score. But the movie, um, I think, smartly opens with this score. And if you remember, the opening credits is nothing but us going through um, like a stone Batman logo Mm. and there's something that's so mysterious about like I just remember the first time I saw it I was like what is like where am I going where <laughs> am I being taken and then by the time we finally you know kind of zoom out and we see it's the Batman logo um I think we're ready as an audience to take part in what we're about to see and so you know sometimes directors are very smart in the fact that they slow things down in the beginning of the film. You know, um, Batman, we're expecting action. We're expecting some fighting. We're expecting gadgets. But to really allow us to hear this amazing, incredible score that's so big, uh, it's so bold. And at times, um, just listening to it, you just ex- it's, it's exciting. Um, mm-hmm. Yet at the same time. Like, I'm like, what what am I looking at? I don't know. And it's just I think it's it was Tim Burton's way of saying, hey, sit back, relax. I am going to be in control of this camera and I'm going to tell you something. (laughs) And I think Danny Elfman's score really um, just is phenomenal supporting the the story within this film. Wow. What a actually. That's terrific. Everything you said there. I mean, that's that. If you haven't published a review on Batman yet, you should. <laughs> Just that part right there was was pretty amazing. That's great. Let's uh, let's hear what he was talking about. This is the theme from the '89 film Batman, and it's written by Danny Elfman.
one of the things that we mentioned when I was um, uh, introducing you was that you had launched a, a, a PR film called Picture Lock. I was wondering what uh, what got you, I mean, with everything else that you're doing, what what got you interested in starting up a, a PR firm? Yeah, um, so as a film critic, I, I see a lot of films um, each year. And for critics, for and as a festival director, um, seeing so many films each year, I know that there are much better films that are on the independent film festival circuit than what we get and receive and you know that our AMCs and we we see the big blockbusters right um and so as a critic and as a festival director and as a filmmaker myself I, I see a lot of as I like to call it the game and the the machine from these different aspects right so oh. um publicists that hit me up as a critic that you know want to get a review for their film and the way in which they do it uh, as a festival director just kind of seeing distribution and and seeing how um uh, in the independent filmmakers can kind of get into festivals and things like that and and so what i wanted to do was create a, a firm in which it could take some of these great films that i was seeing and give them the right tools to be able to um kind of at least at at the most part at the most i think um make some of that money back that mm -hmm. they they spent to actually create the film um and the great thing about today is that you know with streaming online there's so many different uh platforms in which filmmakers can now uh oh, instead i know it's a great time to be an independent filmmaker right now yeah. really young <laughs> Exactly. And I mean, you think about because uh, I, I, I went through film school and undergrad right on that bubble where um, we crossed over into digital filmmaking. And so mm -hmm. uh, I was able to like shoot on film and like kind of cut it together. But it was really we were starting to get heavy into digital. And so those uh, Quentin Tarantino's and those guys that like Spike Lee that like had to rob uh, Peter to pay Paul to get their films created. Um, now we're in a place in which, you know, like you can literally shoot on your iPhone, but oh, my know. biggest, it's amazing. Yeah. And my, and my biggest thing is that, um, you know, so now that it's a little more economical to be able to make a film, the, the biggest problem is, can you get people to watch your film and mm. how can you get balls on it? Because, you know, if it's if it's just your mom and, you know, your family, friends that see it and then you put it away in the basement, you know, then that's mm. not that not necessarily what's the point, because I do think sometimes as artists, we just want to get the art out. But like you have such an ability to do so much more with your film um, than maybe the 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 Hollywood gatekeepers allowed in the past. So that's what I wanted to do with picture lock PR. Um, and I also wrote uh, a book, Army of One, PR marketing for the indie filmmaker, in which I'm really giving a lot of those keys and nuggets, um, which it, it is available on Amazon if there's any filmmakers that are trying to uh, get their stuff out there. Yeah, and I'll try to put that on our uh, Facebook page as well when we advertise the program. Yeah, in fact, I, I just finished uh, shooting a, an independent film that I think is 
it's a horror movie, but it's got an incredible story, great character development. I'm so excited about it. And, of course, the one question mark will be, will we be able to get anyone to see it? And she's confident. She's confident that uh, the film festival circuit certainly will be one avenue that should work. And, you know, and and now you do have streaming options now, too. So I may have to pass your book on to her. So all righty. Well, that's interesting, yeah, that, and I wish you good luck with that. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Now, we went from, you know, you were just talking about the dawn of the age of uh, digital filmmaking, but let's let's go back a few decades. Uh, I, I found it interesting that you were, uh, and I like this, by the way. I don't, I don't mean interesting as weird, but I mean interesting I like the fact that you went back to an Alfred Hitchcock film called Vertigo. Uh, Q is called Scene de Amour, written by one of the most prolific and, and fabulous composers of the golden age of Hollywood, uh, Bernard Herman. And so I was really curious as to how was it that that made your, uh, your list of top scores? Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> I think it's exactly what you're just talking about in terms of golden age Hollywood. And, um, talk about a score that just like sweeps you away. Um, it's, it's haunting yet beautiful and uh, I think that again when we when we think about scores and 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 the greats the the ones that are really able to like again draw us into the story um, really kind of gets you on the edge of your seats as to what's going to happen next and and that's why so so my show and it's called picture lock uh, because with picture lock once you lock uh, the visuals within a film, then you can go in and do the score. And so I think this is one in which I feel as though, you know, um, Bernard Herrmann was really thinking about what's going on in this movie and then wrote to it and just wrote something that was so beautiful. Uh, I just had to have that one on my list. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing this. Let's uh, listen to this. This is from the film Vertigo. The cue is called Scene d'Amour, and it's written by the maestro Bernard Herrmann.
Well, it is a real exciting time to, uh, I think, to be an independent filmmaker. I, 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 are you, you're up in the tri-state area, right? I guess in New York or whatever. Uh, no, I'm actually in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, okay. I, I must have gotten the area code wrong. I, uh, there's a pretty good film scene going on there, and there certainly is here in Louisiana. Um, and so there's a lot of a lot of independent movies being made. Are you finding it similar in North Carolina as well? Yeah, you know, um, I think it's it's uh, a lot of pockets here in, in North Carolina. You got Wilmington, um, Charlotte. Uh, where I was spending a lot of time uh, was in D.C. And the D.C. area is huge with independent um, film. Mm. So uh, and because it's kind of a hop, skip and a jump to Philadelphia as well as New York, um, it's it's great places. So. Well, it's uh, it's a great, great one to go out on, although we will talk for words. It's a great, great cue to kind of wrap up the music portion of our program. Uh, actually, I had the, the good fortune to see this composer in concert just about a month or so ago, and he actually played this cue. It's called Going the Distance, and it's from called Rocky. And so I'm uh, really interested to hear what your thoughts were and wanting to include that one on your list as well. Man, come on, talk about <laughs> just talk about a score in which uh, again it becomes another character. Mm. Um, the reason that I wanted to to have going the distance is because, and I literally in my workout playlist like this is on it. If you listen to this <laughs> score like by itself, you can literally hear the fight and the struggle. Um, that is embodied by the actors and the visual, but you hear it in in the music. And so the way that, you know, it's almost, and again, I I can't speak as knowledgeably in terms of music composition, but the way in which the horns seem to fight with one another and the percussion and um, just the way that the tempo slows down a little bit and comes back up. To me, it's just one of those scores that is so memorable, but it does a great job of, um, I I think with Rocky, you know, it's an underdog story, action, boxing, um, but it really kind of helps us. I think as human beings, there's always that time when you're, um, you just have to overcome something. And uh, this is one of those great scores that does it. So I highly recommend working out to it. <laughs> it's, it's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And as, a, as Bill Conti was quick to say on a, when he was playing this in his concert, he said, and this one helped put my daughter through college. So uh, <laughs> it obviously was very successful for him, too. Let's let's have a listen to this. The cue is called Going the Distance. It's from the film Rocky, and it's written by... Bill Conti. Thank you. 
as we uh, as we wrap up, I was wanting to have an opportunity for if uh, if people want to get in touch with you or if they're uh, you know interested in some of your work or what you do, what would be what would be some of the best ways to to get in touch with you? Yeah, please. I appreciate that, Frank. Um, if you go to imkevinsampson.com, you can find all of the different things that I do, and that website will be able to direct you to um, the different things I do. It, it also has the book on it and all that good stuff. Oh, um, wow. But uh, picturelockshow.com is where I have all my movie reviews, and then on social media, everything is at picture lock show so um definitely please reach out um i definitely would love to hear what what people thought of the episode and and just i'm always game to geek out about film <laughs> <laughs> and and did i have that right it's the, the website i even samson.com right i okay. am kevin samson.com right so that's like the one stop to be able to see uh, uh links to everything else that you're involved in like the podcast the tv review show the i guess the the pr firm and also the book you had about uh, uh pr for independent filmmakers it's all all right there right exactly. kevin i don't i don't know where the time has gone it's just flown by but i can't uh, thank you enough for uh, for joining us a little while for us to find a time when we could hook up but i i appreciate all the effort you made into helping to put the program together today and uh thoroughly enjoyed it and i'm uh, gonna, gonna look forward to hopefully staying in touch with you as time goes on and maybe maybe you'll have to review one of my films and i just hope you're gentle <laughs> <laughs> yeah well frank first off thanks so much for having me on i really appreciate it it's a honor to be able to go on anyone's show for someone to think that uh what i have to say might be entertaining at, at the very least and uh, so, it definitely I, was entertaining and insightful so uh, I do I, I thank you again very much for joining us uh, that's going to kind of wrap it up for us right now uh, there's a, really only one thing left to say and that's simply this my name is Frank R. Wilson my time's up I thank you for yours thanks for listening to What's the Score